0: sequence start space nuts 1. space nuts the nuts it feels good hello again and thank you for joining us on the podcast we call space nuts my name's Andrew Dunkley and my uh, fellow partner in crime uh, also shares the packet of nuts with me because we can't afford more than one is Fred Watson hello Fred. We've got to get some new nuts. Yes. <laughs> How yes. are you, Andrew? <laughs> I am well. It's raining here. We are so thrilled. Yes. Yeah, Doing the same uh, here. for those who do not know, we are getting a visit by a royal couple next week. Uh, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will be visiting uh, good old Dub Vegas on their uh, Australian tour. They're here for the Invictus Games, but uh, Harry and Meghan have uh, included Dubbo in their um, their round of visits uh, because of the drought because this is drought central at the moment and now it's raining <laughs> so we're, <laughs> we're going to have a bit of a green drought for them I imagine but that's fine it doesn't change anything and one day of rain isn't going to break the drought but yeah we're thrilled to have them and people have put cardboard cutouts of, of them up on the, um, up on the uh, balconies of pubs and all sorts of stuff it's really good we're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, Fred, today we're going to talk about a new dwarf planet that has been discovered. They've called it Goblin. I don't think that'll stick for some reason. Uh, (laughs) World Space Week. And a question from Deke Harrison uh, about the Big Bang and what we can see and time and all that sort of jazz roll into one. We'll get to your question a little later, Deke. Thanks for sending it in. Uh, Before we start, uh, you've just um, come back from Starfest, which is a, a, a fairly local event in our calendar, isn't it?
1: Indeed, that's right. So um, yes, it was a busy week in Cunabaran last week. Two two big events. One was uh, a conference called Riding the Light Wave of Technology, which Marnie uh, masterminded and organised, and brought together uh, totally disparate groups of people to talk about. Alan. <laughs> and Alan's not a person. Alan is artificial light at night. Mm. Uh, and so it, it interests astronomers, of course, because light pollution is an issue for them. And that's the angle that, that I came at it from uh, 20 years ago. But now um, the Alan issue has become much more widespread. And we're, we're kind of starting to realize that uh, artificial light at night, particularly light with a high blue content, tinkers around with our well being in a way that we hadn't previously realized. Um, and so there was a big strong medical contingent in this conference as well as Uh, a lot of people talking about uh, flora and fauna and the deleterious effect of of, uh, outdoor lighting on on them so great uh, a great meeting with some good outcomes and then we went straight into starfest the annual open day for the observatory and a few other events like science in the pub and the bach lecture famous uh making cunabarum famous every every october um uh, the, the the climax of the whole weekend was the opening uh, the formal launch of the Warren Bungle Dark Sky Park, which you might remember we had recognised as a, a Australia's first international dark sky park back in 2016. Uh, it's taken a little while to get it formally launched, but that happened on Saturday. We had the, the Chief Scientist and Engineer of New South Wales, uh, Hugh Durant-White, came and did the honours. And we had a lovely evening launch in the Warren Bungle National Park under the stars. And it was a brilliantly clear night and it couldn't really have gone better Andrew. So Fantastic. we missed you, we missed yeah,
0: you. Yeah. Look I've been uh, once or twice over the years and we've had the Bach Lecture in Dubbo uh, quite a few yes, times, although well, that seems it, to have fallen yeah. by the wayside in recent years. But uh, yeah, I've hosted that a couple of times and met some astounding people doing some amazing things in astronomy. So uh, it is a fabulous event and uh, it's it's good that it's, uh, uh, it's, it's happening every year because I think uh, people want to know, people uh, are, just so full of questions, as you and I are aware of with the, the number that come into us about uh, life, the universe and everything. If they just believed the answer was 42, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing we are going to talk about this morning is the discovery of the new dwarf planet, Goblin. Now, it's not a new planet because it's probably been there for a long time, but uh, <laughs> it's newly yeah. discovered. It's, it's newly discovered. And <clears throat> to come clean...
1: Its proper name is 2015 TG387. I like Goblin better,
0: only slightly better.
1: Yeah. So, why is it called a Goblin? Well, uh, it was discovered, as its name implies, in 2015. Uh, and uh, that uh, discovery was made round about Halloween, and people were obviously thinking Halloween-y thoughts. Uh, and they like TG as well. TG suddenly became the Goblin, and so the Goblin is what its name is now. But as you said a minute or two ago, you can bet your life that when you know when it when it finally comes to the crunch of choosing a name for this object, it will not be the Goblin. Mm. Um, what is it? Okay, it's a dwarf planet. Uh, that means it's spherical. It's about 300 kilometres across. Um, but what's interesting about it is not its shape or its size, it's where it is, because it's in the uh, really dim and distant outer reaches of our solar system. Um, it's, its orbit is very, very elongated. It's so elongated it's almost a straight line. Um, when it is at its closest, it's about two and a half times further from the sun than Pluto is. Pluto is about about six billion kilometres on average. So two and a half times further. But at its furthest, it's 60 times further than Pluto. So you know you're talking um, you're talking not quite a trillion kilometres. It's about I think I worked out it's about 360 uh, billion kilometres. Uh, when it's at its at its furthest, and its orbit, its year—wait for this—its oh, yeah. year is forty thousand years oh, for one boy. trip around the sun. So it's it's a slow-moving, distant, remote, tiny object. Um, and very faint because 300 kilometres across is not much when you're looking at those sorts of distances. And so um, there's a really nice comment here that says for 99% of its orbit, it will be too faint to see. That's on the Guardian website. I'll
0: tell you one positive thing about it. If you ask for a Maserati for your birthday, they'd have plenty of time to save up and get it for you.
1: (laughs) I don't know whether they have Maseratis (laughs) on the Goblin. Oh, they've got to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They've probably just got Mitsubishi's like I do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: so uh, what, So the, the story, that, that's, that's all the facts as we know them. But the mm. backstory is the interesting bit because this plays directly into something that you and I have spoken about many times before. And that is the hypothetical Planet Nine.
0: I was going to bring that up. And yeah, the, yeah I was going to ask you, could this be? It's not Planet Nine, but But it's telling the same story as the
1: other asteroids out there in the outer solar system. And in fact, it was because of the search for Planet Nine that this thing was found. So um, just to recap, um, these... uh, um, this sort of, I suppose, belt of icy asteroids way out in the depths of the solar system. We we call it the Kuiper Belt, although sometimes that's a misnomer. Uh, the safest way is to refer to them as trans-Neptunian objects. These are objects beyond the orbit of Neptune because there are several different categories of them. Uh, but the Kuiper Belt is, is one of them. That's um, uh, a belt of... Uh, objects that was predicted actually back in the 1950s by Gerard P. Kuiper, who was a very well-known Dutch-American astronomer. Um, He he suggested that the the, the leftover debris from the formation of the planets is is orbiting uh, way, way out in the depths of the solar system. And sure enough, in 1992, I think the first one was found we now know that Pluto is one of these objects uh, and, and there are many others as well, including at least one that's bigger than Pluto. Uh, so uh, that's the family of objects that the goblin belongs to. But what we've already, you and I have already talked about, is that some of these uh, asteroids are in very elongated orbits, like the goblin, and their orbits are all sort of aligned in, a, in the same direction. And that has led uh, astronomers to believe that there is a much more massive object, uh, way way beyond even the goblin, um, which has gravitational pull, which is aligning these orbits, and it's an object that is as yet undiscovered. Planet so- Nine? Planet Nine, that's right. Ah. So Planet Nine is what that's being called. Uh, it was hypothesized, it's about three years ago, I think, when it first, um, you know, the idea first came up. And so since then, people have been looking for it. And uh, as part of the search for it, what's happened is they found the Goblin, which is another dwarf planet. It's not Planet Nine, but it's certainly in the same sort of direction. Mm. Um, I think Planet Nine is thought to have up to 10 times the mass of the Earth. So it's a big object. But it's also thought to be at an extremely remote distance, which is why we haven't found it yet. Uh, And the, you know, the the interesting aspect of all this is that uh, the place where people think Planet Nine is hiding is right in the Milky Way. So you've got an area of sky that is absolutely spangled with with stars. Um, And what you're trying to find is a very slow moving star moving among them. Uh, in other words, something that's just like all the others, because at that distance, Planet Nine would just look like a star, um, but that is moving slowly between the stars. And that's quite a difficult problem if you've got very rich or very dense uh, fields of stars. So we,
0: we can't see the forest for the tree, basically. In the, it, exactly. Um, that's
1: right. It, it, yeah. Is
0: it um, possible that this Planet Nine could be one of those rogue planets that you and I talked about? Once that just sort of gets thrown out of whatever orbit it was in, wherever it was, and is just floating around. It's possible. That's right. Um, um, that would
1: that would mean it was not gravitationally bound to the solar system. Mm. Uh, and I think the calculations that people have done um, to sort of predict where Planet Nine is, and this is all based on the elongation of these asteroid orbits. Uh, I think that has it near enough that it is gravitationally bound to the sun, so it is actually in orbit around the sun. Probably, you know, with a similar kind of 40 or 100,000-year orbit, something similar to what we're talking about with with the goblin. Um, it's it really, it's interesting stuff, and one of the things that makes you take this seriously is that the Goblin was discovered by one of the biggest telescopes in the world, the Subaru, uh, Japanese Subaru Telescope, which is on Mauna Kea, uh, the the best northern hemisphere site in the world for for putting optical telescopes. It's an eight-meter mirror, uh, and that means it can see very faint objects. But Subaru is interesting because it's got quite a wide field of view, so it can produce um, images of relatively large areas of sky. Most big telescopes, you you only see a very narrow field of view. And the Hubble is the extreme example of that. Um, It looks at tiny bits of sky in great detail. Uh, Whereas what you want to do is look in detail, but also see a big area of sky. And the Subaru telescope lets you do that. Mm. So the, uh, clearly the um, you know the time allocation committees that look at dishing out telescope time take this proposal for planet nine very seriously indeed uh, and uh, are giving big telescope time to the project to try and find it yes. so um, it's a question of uh, watch this space um, it's it, uh, when when the dust settles a bit I'm sure uh, the goblin will get a much more Elegant name. Uh, These trans-Neptunian objects typically are named after uh, figures in the creation legends of the indigenous people uh, in the territory in which the the, um, object was discovered. So, no doubt, the Goblin will wind up with a very elegant Hawaiian name because. uh, that's where it was discovered.
0: Fantastic. And while we're still out there I've heard uh, whispers that there's another campaign going on to have uh, Pluto reclassified as a planet. Yep. If there's another uh, object in that area that's bigger than Pluto then you'd have to make it a planet too and then you start to get into real messy stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, it's. I think most astronomers in the world are share the same view that i have <laughs> pluto is not a planet and it never was end of story we just misclassified it well, well it's um, the only
0: it, one we found in 1930 so that's right now that we've found it you know, a whole bunch it starts yeah to well, make it's more than sense. a
1: thousand more mm. than a thousand of these objects known already and there're probably millions out there so yeah, yeah it's not a planet okay. um, but that you know it's still one of the most interesting objects in the solar system and as we know from the uh, flyby of new horizons back in 2015.
0: Yes, indeed. All right. We will keep an eye on things and hopefully in the not-too-distant future be able to tell you about the discovery of Planet 9. You're listening to Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, Now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, So protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com/slash. Space. That's t r y e x p r e s s v p n dot slash space for three months free with a one year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more, and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now, back to the show. Roger, your lines are here also. Space nuts. Now, Fred, a a global topic. We don't get to talk about global topics too often. Uh, but this one is uh, World Space Week, which by the time people have downloaded and listened to our podcast will be well underway. Uh, this is a United Nations event and uh, it was first declared in 1999. A very good year, as I recall, for Australian sport anyway. So World Space Week, what's happening? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> well, I've done my bit already. <laughs> Yes, well, you you have with um, Starfest, of course. Yeah,
1: well, no, uh, there's a bit more to it than that, and I'll talk about that in a second. But let's um, let's introduce World Space Week. It is um, a major event, as you said, been going since 1999. Uh, they're expecting to have something like 4,000 events in 80 or 90 countries. Uh, the theme for World Space Week this week is for 2018 is space. Space unites the world, which oh. I'm very I think that, you know, am very supportive of. Um Space Week runs from the fourth to the tenth of October every year. So it doesn't sort of run from Monday to Sunday or anything like that. It's always no, the dates the are set in stone. They are, because because mm-hmm. October. Any bells? No. No, <laughs> you don't remember nineteen fifty seven, Andrew. I I was
0: Probably not around then, much.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember it.
0: Uh, it's That was the launch of Sputnik. Sputnik, Sputnik 1. It just, the, first, the penny just dropped.
1: Yeah, the first uh, artificial satellite uh, and launched by the Soviet Union on the 4th of October... 1957. I remember it. I remember it well. Mm-hmm. Um, so an extraordinary, you know, an extraordinary event, and that has now um, become the, the the opening day of World Space Week. See, I, I so, should have,
0: I should have remembered it because I actually read uh, a little bit about it on the radio the other day. Um, okay, about the launch of Sputnik. So it, it should have been at the front of my mind. But my mind tends to once I've read something, that's it. I don't have to remember it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> which Um, I don't think is what reading's for, but anyway... (laughs)
1: Well, no, no. Uh, that's what writing's for, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You write it down so you don't have to remember it. Um, A little bit more about World Space Week. It's, uh, and I'm reading from the website here, it's an international celebration of the contribution of space science and technology to the betterment of the human condition. World Space Week consists of a myriad of space-related events held by space agencies, aerospace companies, schools, planetaria, museums and astronomy clubs, and space nuts, in a common time frame to achieve imagine. greater student and public impact through synchronization. So mm. it's a pretty big event. And of course, um, for us this year, uh, us in Australia this year, Andrew, it's got additional significance because now we have our own space agency, we the do. Australian Space Agency uh, can participate in World Space Week. And that's kind of how I got roped in, uh, because uh, day before yesterday, I recorded um, a whole lot lot of video uh, clips, I guess, little snippets uh, in our parent department or the the organization I work for, the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science, part of the Commonwealth Government. Um, These are going to be the little quirky space facts, um, a bit like the stock in trade of space nuts. Um, And all all I did was uh, sort of, you know, spewed out a space fact uh, for this recording uh, one a day for World Space Week and then one a week for the rest of the year Uh,
0: and And I've had a quick listen, the first one uh, for anybody who's interested goes space is really big it's so big (laughs) No, no! hang on, that's something else. Yeah. Well, I,
1: I, I always loved, uh, you know, it was Douglas Adams who said, space is big, really big. You might think it's a long way down the road to the chemists, but that's nothing, <laughs> that's compared. nothing compared to space. <laughs> oh, he boy. had a way with words, that guy. It was brilliant. Uh, so so uh, these things, I haven't actually checked this out, so I, I don't know whether it will work or not, but apparently they are on uh, the Twitter handle, at science gov au so all one word at science au uh, i'm gonna have a look for them after you and i've spoken uh, to see whether they came out but they're you know they're some of the the quirkier little facts that uh, you and i delight in uh, about space and about astronomy mm. uh, just very briefly, the, you know, it's a very brief thing. I don't know how it will turn out. It was it was all done on Monday morning this week, but we had a good time doing it. But so real,
0: Realistically, having a week dedicated to space is probably a good thing, given what uh, we don't know about space and what we're trying to learn about space and finding things like Planet Nine and learning about um, uh, where we are in the universe and why things are happening the way they are. And, and the fact that we get absolutely bombarded with questions. Um, I mean, our, our email systems look like the surface of the moon because of all the <laughs> emails that come in and pockmark our, uh, our inbox. But um, the reality is there are so many millions of people that want to know what's going yep. on out there so yep. having a dedicated united nations week towards uh, answering some of those questions or celebrating space i think it's a fabulous idea one of the things that's happening locally i mean we, we talked about starfest but um this uh, saturday night in a little town called wellington just down the road from us they're having a um a telescope night at the wellington caves there's a big cave complex there it's a tourist yes, attraction well, so yeah. they've uh, they've brought a um, a fellow up uh, to uh, talk um, about space from the Aboriginal perspective, about some of the uh, the stories of the Aboriginal interpretation of space. So that should be a really fun night on Saturday night. It's the last opportunity to see something at night because we switched to daylight saving <laughs> after that. So um, they're doing it at the last possible moment. <laughs> Very good. should be a oh, lot of fun. Great.
1: Mm. And of course, um, you know, there is a rich, uh, really rich uh, literature, if I can put it that way, of, of Aboriginal Dreamtime uh, uh, stories and legends, uh, many of which actually relate uh, really well to, to events in the sky. Um, there are Dreamtime stories that have now been proved to be about asteroids that have hit the Earth and things of that sort. It's really remarkable stuff. It is indeed.
0: And if uh, anybody wants to go to the website for World Space Week, it's worldspaceweek.org, which should be fairly easy to remember. (laughs) I'm going to write it down. Yes, Uh, I'll tell me too as well. Uh, So, uh, yeah, celebrate World Space Week uh, with us and everybody else around the world. Uh, This is Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, a uh, a question. This comes from Deke Harrison. Thank you, Deke. We appreciate the question. We're going to do this in two halves because he's asked a lot of questions because he's been listening to back episodes of Space Nuts, and it's prompted a lot of questions in his mind, and uh, that's fair enough. Uh, I understand that the further out we look into the universe, the further back in time we are looking... Uh, which in itself is crazy. Uh, I'm curious to know if it is within the realms of possibility that somehow, maybe with new technological advances, we will directly observe the Big Bang or light of the Big Bang as it happened. Uh, Would this maybe provide the missing link between general relativity and quantum theory? That's a great
1: question, Deke, and um, I, I agree with you that looking back in time is crazy. <laughs> but it's just a property of physics. It's a bit weird because, um, so yes, we 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 from our vantage point as we look out into space, the further we look, the further back in time we're looking because uh, of the the finite travel time or the finite speed of light, three hundred thousand kilometers per second. Um, So if you could look out 300,000 kilometers, which is not quite the distance of the moon, you'd be looking back a second and all the rest of it. And eventually you're looking back billions of years because you're looking so far back. Mm. Um, The the, the interesting thing, though, is that um, we can never see the universe in any other way because you've always got this ultimate speed limit. So uh, while it's a crazy thought, what it means is that we sort of have to uh, envisage the universe in this peculiar way that the further away you look, the further back in time you're seeing, because there's never any way of seeing things as they are now, if I can put it that way. So that does make it really slightly odd.
0: No, I get it because it's a simple case of uh, what you see is what happened in the time it took for the light to reach us and what's happening there now we won't know about until that light reaches us in so many thousand or hundred thousand or or billions of years years. or billions of years' time. So it's always running at the same speed relative to the size of the universe and therefore we can never catch up. It's like watching something on record 10 minutes behind what's on air live and you never catch up while you're watching in real time so That's if it. we had a fast forward button on the universe yes, yes. <laughs> but we do not have that
1: yeah that fast forward button would need things to travel at faster than the speed of light exactly nothing travels faster than the speed of light not even light okay so um that is sort of leads into the second part of this question uh um Deke wants to know whether it's within the realms of possibility that maybe with new technological advances, we'll directly observe the Big Bang or the light of the Big Bang as it happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Dick probably already is aware that we can look look so far back in time that we are actually still seeing the flash of the Big Bang. Um, And it's not the Big Bang as it happened, though. It's the aftermath of the Big Bang. For the first 380,000 years of its existence, the universe was a brilliant fireball, uh, glowing, you know, intensely brightly. Uh, But what that means is that um, because it was so bright, you couldn't see through it. It was like living in this fog of brilliance. Uh, so, you know, light didn't actually move through the universe. It was just light that was there already.
0: I've always um, found it very difficult living in a fog of brilliance. <laughs> it's a lonely life. Well, you'd, you'd know. That's right. You would know. A fog of brilliance, not
1: <laughs> not intellectual brilliance, just physical brilliance, all right? Okay. Um, I think we'd probably, most of us have probably... I wasn't dream- brilliant enough to figure that out. <laughs> Most of us have probably driven, um, driven a car through fog. Uh, you know where where the headlights all they do is light up the fog, yeah. and that's all you can see. You can't see what's on the you know what, what, what you're trying to find. So the universe was like that. It was just a brilliant fog of light, and then it cleared relatively quickly after about 380,000 years, and and it's because of the fact that it cleared everywhere at the same time that we can still see it. Uh, so. Ever since then, the universe has effectively been transparent. But if we look far enough back in time, we can see that time when the universe was still a fog. Mm. And we see it as a as a microwave signal across the whole sky. It's called the Cosmic Microwave Background Radiation. Why isn't it a glowing white light? It's because the universe has expanded by a factor of more than a thousand since the since that light was emitted. So the expansion stretches the the, the light waves and they become radio waves. That's the bottom line. And so we can still see that. But um, Deke's point is well made because at the moment, all we can see back to is 380,000 years after the Big Bang. And we can't penetrate that any further. So the... The cosmic microwave background radiation is like a wall. It's 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 kind of artificial, but it is a wall beyond which we can't see. So we can't look with light or radio or X-rays or any of the electromagnetic radiations further than that uh, that time. In other words, we can't look back beyond the three hundred eighty thousand year point. So um, uh, it's physics that stops you doing that. So you've got to look for other things, and there are. Uh, as as uh, Deek suggests, new technological advances that might let us penetrate that that horizon that we can't see beyond. Uh, two of them come to mind. One is subatomic particles, and we know that when the Big Bang happened, uh, it was it was rich in um, neutrinos. So there was an intense bombardment of neutrinos uh, from the Big Bang, uh, which subatomic particles they pass through the earth with no problems at all Um, we don't yet have neutrino telescopes that can sort of map you know what the physics of where they came from and things of that sort Uh, but those neutrinos in in a a, perhaps in a a fairly speculative sense at the moment but they do uh, suggest that there might be ways in which we can Pass, cross this cosmic horizon, we can actually see the, 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 you know, the neutrinos being emitted by the Big Bang itself. We haven't got there yet, but it's a possibility. And another possibility, which is similarly speculative, is gravitational waves, because we've now built uh, instruments that can detect colliding neutron stars and colliding black holes by the ripples that they, they actually set up in space itself. The Big Bang was the ultimate um, you know big bang within mm. the universe, so there would almost certainly be ripples in space time uh, from that we can't detect them at the moment, but maybe just maybe down the track we might be able to build uh, interferometers as they're called that are sensitive sensitive enough to detect that so there is possible there is possible technology that might take us further forward with that okay. so that kind of answers part one of of Deek's question.
0: Mm. Uh, Part two is even more speculative. Go for it, Andrew. Okay. Could this be why we haven't seen intelligent life yet? Because as soon as life in the universe becomes intelligent, intelligent enough to observe the Big Bang, this creates some sort of cataclysmic disaster where the universe resets. Interesting. Uh, so many possibilities are going around in my head and I can't be the only one thinking about this. Um, interesting thoughts? What are you It, it reckon? is an interesting thought. And
1: it's um, look, it, it sounds... Um, it, it sounds kind of unexpected that you might link the existence of intelligent life to physical phenomena going on in the universe, <clears throat> but it's not quite as far-fetched as it sounds. <clears throat> Excuse me, Andrew. Um, the, the one of the curious things about quantum theory, which um, Dick has already mentioned, is that uh, things change when you observe them in quantum theory. Uh, so, you know, particles that are very small can exist in a, what we call a state of superposition, which means that you, they can be in more than one place at once, they can be in more than one state at once, until you look at them. And then they suddenly um, they, they, they drop into a state where they behave like perfectly normal particles.
0: You and I talked about this not so long ago, and I read an article that suggested a, a, what sounded like a pretty outrageous theory, that we live in a world that we create in our own minds. Yeah,
1: it's that sort of thing. That's right. It's almost like that. This is um, quantum theory is is a is a little bit more, um, perhaps I can put it this way, physical than than to, to suggest that it's stuff going on in our minds. Mm. And in fact, um, with quantum theory, the normal interpretation is that when when things are in this funny quantum state where they can be more than one place at once, they're completely isolated from their surroundings. And so uh, looking at them, which means photons transmitting from one place to another, actually connects them with their surroundings and they lose that quantum weirdness. Um, But there there are um, theories that extend that to almost the kind of thing that Deke is talking about, that you need consciousness for for things to behave in a certain way. It's it's a very. Uh, you know, it, it, in many ways, it, well, as I said, it's speculative. Uh, it's just one of the ideas behind uh, the the way the universe works. This ca- sort of b- bizarre connection between the physical universe and a consciousness that can appreciate it, and it sort of suggests that if you don't have intelligent life in the universe, there isn't, there is no universe. But that, uh, you know, that's a, a a really long shot to draw. Uh, so the the answer is. We really don't know um, about enough about this. I think most physicists would dismiss it as being irrelevant. And they say, well, if there's no intelligent life in the universe, the universe just carries on and, and doesn't give a hoot, that there's nothing there to, to, to look at it or understand it. If a tree falls in the forest. That's right. Do you know about it if you're not there? So it's... Um, I mean, even Einstein pondered the theory. Is the moon still there when nobody's looking at yes, it? Yes, that's right. Uh, so, so it does have uh, – it's not a random thought. And as Deke said, you, no, you're not the only one thinking about this. There are people who put a lot of uh, pretty intelligent thought into it. G- generally, I guess what uh, it's possible to say is that this strays into the, into the world of philosophy rather than physics. Um, And philosophy and physics coexist pretty well together. And I think each can teach the other uh, stuff about the realities of the real world. Um, We've got all sorts of ideas that pop out of this. Uh, I mean, relativity itself suggests that all time exists already that it's there and we just kind of progress through it and that the passage of time is just an illusion and so how does that feed into the mix you know if 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 if, um, if all of time exists what what part does intelligent um, you know intelligent existence play in that so these are rambles uh very very bizarre rambles but i think it's it's um It's encouraging that people like Deek are thinking along these lines because some of the great thinkers of the world have gone down this path too. And I think maybe we might find uh, more concrete answers. well not not in the near future but i think it it is in the uh, in in the destiny of our species to understand this sort of stuff a lot more
0: mm, indeed Uh deke but thank you so much yeah yeah, yeah oh, good great, question. great question also uh answered uh, a question for me as to why golf is so hard um <laughs> because you have to think about it and they advise you not to when you're trying to no, play they, the game and yeah. <laughs> therefore <clears throat> therefore they can't coexist um that, that's what makes the game so difficult. Uh, thank you, Fred. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun this week. Great to talk it's to you. It's never been I'm fun good. before, but it's been a lot of fun this no, week. No, it's
1: always rubbish before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, great, great stuff and uh, good to speak and I hope we'll speak again next week. I hope so too. Fred Watson, astronomer, and don't forget to look up his little Space Facts videos on Twitter uh, at ScienceGovAU, G-O-V, uh, G-O-V-A-U, ScienceGov govau on uh, Twitter and uh, for World Space Week, go to the website worldspaceweek.org to um, get involved if you can locally at, uh, in, in regard to whatever might be happening in your area and yes, we will be back next week with another edition of Space Nuts Space Nuts you will be listening to the Space Nuts podcast
1: Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audio Boom, and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor this has been another quality podcast production from sites.com.